If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Alright, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that you are a God who reconciles. You take people who were once your enemies and you make them friends. You make them sons and daughters. And you have done this by paying the highest price. You gave your Son for us, Lord, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could know you intimately, so that we could walk with you. Lord, that we could worship You and serve You, and one day we will be with You for all of eternity, worshiping You and glory. And we look forward to that day. But we thank You for this moment as we have gathered together as a family of believers, and we want to be taught by You. So Holy Spirit, I pray that You would be moving mightily in this room, that You would minister to the hearts and to the minds present here, that You would speak to each and every one of us individually. Lord, that we would hear from You, God. And above all, that You would be exalted as we have come here to sit at Your feet and to spend time with You. So we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you guys turn me down just a little bit in the microphone? Thank you. Okay, guys. Well, there were a number of reasons why Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. Uh, one was to encourage them to restore the brother that had repented, the one whom they, he encouraged them actually to kick out in the first letter. He had repented, he had turned. Paul encourages them to bring the brother back in. Um, he's going to be taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem, and he's making his way through, so he's preparing them. He's asking them to be prepared for that. Uh, unfortunately, he's having to defend his apostleship because so often when Paul would plant a church, minister there for a season and move on, false teachers, false apostles would rise up and they would begin to try to break apart what Paul had started, oftentimes try to discredit him. 
Um, so Paul had to address this. But this is also a very personal letter because Paul loved the church at Corinth. He loved these people. So we see Paul's heart very much. Uh, we see a little bit of this in the text today, uh, a little bit of kind of defending himself and just reminding him that he truly loves them. So today we see the heart of a pastor. We're going to see Pastor Paul speaking to a congregation whom he truly loves. The dominant theme in this text by far is reconciliation. God reconciling sinners unto himself. And then the second theme under that would be as recipients of reconciliation, as you and I have received this gift of reconciliation, now we represent Christ in that same way. We are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Him. So with that, I want to uh, draw your attention to a couple other passages in the New Testament that speaks very clearly of reconciliation. For as I said, our God truly is a God who reconciles. So uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Truly our God is a God who reconciles. And what does that mean to reconcile? It means to restore friendly relations between. We were separated from God. We were separated. Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has reconciled us to Himself. And we, as the church, should be a people who love that Word, who love that reality, who love reconciliation. And you know, honestly, the more time that goes by, the more amazed I am that God would reconcile me. I mean, it was a shock in the first place that God in His goodness would save me, but now that He bears with me day after day, month after month, year after year, and I know me very well, I know myself, and I just think, we truly serve a wonderful God. I love reconciliation. I love seeing others reconciled. I love seeing relationships reconciled. I love seeing people reconciled and restored to the Lord. And Paul certainly loved this. Paul understood this, and this was his heart for the Corinthian church. So with that, we'll pick up with verse 12 in our text. It says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So we kind of pick up a little bit here on this idea that there were people who were mocking Paul, perhaps trying to discredit him. 
boasting in their own strong appearance. Uh, and Paul is reminding him that they may be strong in appearance, but I'm strong in heart. These guys don't really love you. These guys aren't really sincere. There were false apostles, as I said, who had attempted to discredit Paul, but there were even members within the Corinthian church who were saying, you know, Paul writes these really strong letters, but in person, he's weak. In appearance, he's not all that strong. And Paul is pouring his heart out before them, saying, don't you guys understand that I love you, that I'm for you, that I'm the real deal? And maybe I'm not strong in appearance, but I am in heart. In verse 13, it says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Perhaps people were saying, Paul is just crazy. He's insane. Don't listen to him. And Paul says, look, if I am insane, if I am beside myself, myself it's for God. I, uh, I knew a gentleman one time, he was telling me years ago, that he had begun to reach out to this young lady and he was trying to direct her to the Lord. Um, and one day she made the comment, she said, you know, I feel like you're kind of fanatical for Jesus. And he said, well, first off, let me just say that's probably one of the best compliments that you could give a Christian. He said, but secondly, you're the one that keeps bringing it up. We don't have to talk about it all the time. But that always stuck with me, and I thought to be a fanatic for Christ, and in a good sense, I'm crazy about the Lord. What is not to be crazy about? After who He is and what He has done for me, I love Him, and I want the world to know that. Um, on the opposite end, there are some people who know the Lord, but you would never know that about them. Right? I, I, I want to be crazy for Jesus, and I want people to know that I'm crazy for Jesus. But then on the flip side, he says, if we are of sound mind, it's for you. And this word sound mind is sophroneo, and it means safety-minded, literally, having a sober outlook that reflects true balance. So Paul is saying, I might be crazy about God, but I'm serious when it comes to you guys. I care for you. I want to protect you. I want to teach you the true truth. You know, when Paul was among the Corinthians, he worked a job to support himself so that no one could make an accusation that he was simply there to use them or get what he could out of them. Paul was very safe, very sober-minded when he dealt with the Corinthians. Verse 14. 14, the first part, it says, For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. Paul was a representative of God. He endured many hardships. Why? How? Because of the love of Christ. He was controlled by it, guys. He was driven by it. He was motivated by the love of Christ. Are we? Do we respond to the love of Christ, uh, recognizing what great love with which He has loved us? Because that should be our motivation for whatever we do. When we're serving here at the church, you know, I try to tell my youth this. I want them to serve. It's great that they serve, but I want them to know why they're serving. I want them to serve because they love Jesus, because Jesus loves them and they understand that. So the natural response is, Lord, here I am. What can I do for you? In light of all that you've done for me, how can I now serve you? 
because of Christ's great love for us and because of our great love for Christ. That was what kept Paul going. I mean, consider all the hardships that he faced. Starved, beaten, shipwrecked. On and on it goes. He was stoned and left for dead. What was the driving force? It was love. Love is the superior motivation. Love is the supreme motivation. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I give my body to be burned but I have not love, it means absolutely nothing. And he goes on and on and on about how love is supreme. And that should be our motivation for anything that we do. And as far as Paul being a representative of the Lord, being an ambassador of reconciliation, his motivation was love. Verse 14, the latter part of the verse. It says, Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, uh, gives us some good insight on this. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So it says that one died for all, then all died. Because of the sin in the garden, because of Adam and Eve's choice to rebel against God and to eat of the forbidden fruit, we believe the Bible teaches very clearly that sin spread to all mankind. We call that the doctrine of the original sin. Uh, people from that point on were born into this world corrupt, born with a sin nature, born separated from God, born alienated. I mean, just think about children, for instance. Why is it that we have to teach them to obey? Why is it that their natural inclination is to rebel or to say, mine, that's one of the first words that they learn? It doesn't come natural to be righteous. That has to be instilled within us. But because of Christ and His one righteous act, many are made righteous. So because of the sin of Adam, we were all separated from God, dead in our trespass and sin, alienated from God. But because of the one righteous act of our Lord Jesus, many, those who believe on His name, will be reconciled, restored back to God. Verse 15, says, and He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. I'm going to read that again. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. This is an important verse. It connects the next few verses, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to reference this one verse over and over, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But first off, it says that He died for all, that those who should live should no longer live for themselves. Did Christ die for me so that I should then live for myself? Yes or no? Did Christ die for us that we should live for ourselves? No, He did not. He died for us that we could live for Him. That we could live for Him. 
You know, I've thought about this before. Um, it's a little off the, off the topic, but I think it's good. Uh, as far as people who are killed for their faith, I've often wondered, what would I do in that situation? Have you ever wondered about that? If you were put in a position where someone was going to take your life for your confession of Christ, what would you do? Would you have any reason to believe that you would stay faithful and not waver in that? Um, part of me says that if not for the grace of God, I, I believe, you know, absolutely I would fold up, right? You know, it, we're, we're weak people. We are dependent upon the grace of God. But in addition to that, I would say, if you're not living for Him, why in the world would you think you would die for Him? Right? If we're not living for Him, why in the world would we think that we would die for Him? So the Scriptures clearly teach that we are no longer to live for ourselves, but we are to live for Him who died and rose again. So, are we building our own kingdoms, or are we representing His? Are we busy building a life of safety and security and comfort and prosperity, or are we representing the kingdom of God? Are we busy serving the Lord's purposes, investing in His kingdom, sacrificing, uh, maybe even putting ourselves in a position of danger at times? Are we building our kingdom or representing His own? His, excuse me. All right, verse 16. says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. This is kind of a tricky verse. Um, I really had to chew on this quite a bit. Um, so let me just say this. At one point in Paul's life, he absolutely regarded himself and others according to the flesh. It says in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that even mean? Well, I think we get some insight into this in Philippians chapter uh, 3. So I'll read from Philippians chapter 3. Paul says in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, Beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. So Paul had great confidence in the flesh at one point in time. Paul had great confidence in his own personal achievements. But now, that meant nothing to him anymore. All those things he counted as loss for the excellence of Christ. Outward appearance, personal achievements, social status, nationality meant absolutely nothing to Paul anymore. Why? Back in verse 15, that phrase, because Christ died for all. Christ died for all. Everyone is level in that regard. It's a level ground. Paul was not impressed by anything that the flesh had to offer. 
because Christ died for them. So as a minister of reconciliation, in Paul's eyes, everyone is a mission field. Everyone is a mission field. you understand that? Uh, so specifically here in Napa, I was thinking about this a little bit, just kind of considering the culture that, that we live in, there are a lot of wealthy people, right? That's a mission field, trying to reach out to the wealthy. There are many very uh, intellectual types, um, especially in the Bay Area with all the, the schools and uh, the colleges, the, the intellectually elite. That's a very difficult mission field, but it's a mission field nonetheless. What about the homeless? There are homeless folks everywhere around this town, I've noticed. That's kind of new for me. Uh, the town that I came from, you just don't see that. It's a mission field. There are political parties on both sides, and people are very strong. They're very avid about this. Mission field. There are many different religions around here. Mission field. There are non-believers. Mission field. Everyone is the same in that respect. It doesn't really matter who you are, where you came from, what your achievements are, what your social status is, what your ethnicity may be. Mission field. That's what Paul saw when he looked at people. He regarded no one according to the flesh anymore. He was an ambassador of Christ, and everywhere he went, it was a mission field. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Again, this therefore connects back to verse 15. Because Christ died for them and rose again. Because Christ died and rose again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And as far as Paul sees it, there's only two options. There's the old man and there's the new creation. And you're really one of the two. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is speaking on this very idea. Picking up in verse 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being, and here's the word, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, I like that phrase, past feeling. I feel like that really describes, uh, it's like being burned to the point where the nerves are dead and there is no longer sense. The ability to sense anything is gone. And that is true of a person's conscience when they are so far removed from God and they are so alienated and have just lived such a life of sin that they don't even have a conscience anymore. It says, past feeling having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. We put that off. That was our former conduct. We put that off. Which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So as far as Paul saw it, that was the way that it worked. That's it. You're either the old man or the new man. You're the old man or a new creation in Christ. 
Paul was an ambassador of reconciliation. His heart was to see all come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and be new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. I think in a room this size, it's safe to say there's probably a few people in here who don't know the Lord. There are probably a few people who are still that old man. And that doesn't have to be from this point forward. Christ Jesus has paid the price to set you free. You can be a new creation today. Old things can be gone. They can be removed. That can be passed. You can have a new life in Jesus today. You can be a new creation after all, Paul said that's all that really matters. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. But God forbid that I should boast except anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. A new creation is what matters. So verse 18, back in 2 Corinthians. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. All these things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself. Our God is a reconciling God. Amen? No other God is a reconciling God. Every other religion that I'm aware of they share one thing in common. Man has to be good enough. Man has to work his way to heaven. You have to hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You can never have assurance. You can never have the comfort of knowing that you know that you are saved. But our God is a reconciling God. That's what He does. He was in the world, in Christ, reconciling people to himself and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we're going to see two things. One, there's a ministry of reconciliation and there is the word of reconciliation in the next verse. So simply put, we guys have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the service of reconciliation. We have the responsibility of reconciliation. Now, does this apply to us? Because Paul said that they were ministers of reconciliation. Having received it, now they were ministers. It was their ministry. Is it our ministry? just want to be sure that we're clear on this. Because if it had stopped with the apostles, if it was nobody else's ministry but their own, then it would have stopped with the apostles. We wouldn't be here today. The ministry of reconciliation continues on. If you have been reconciled to God, then you are adequate, you are able, you are the best candidate to preach reconciliation to another because you have been reconciled. This is our responsibility, folks. And I'll just say, this has been a, a challenging text for me. Uh, I've really had to think through this. It's easy for me to teach a youth group or to come in here and teach because you guys come and you come expecting to hear these things. It's kind of like I'm fishing and the fish is jumping the boat. That's basically what's happening. But how much of my life outside of here is given to meeting with unbelievers, trying to build a rapport, build a relationship with them, try to win some credibility 
to represent Christ to them, to be Christ to the unbelieving world. How much of my time is given to that? And I was greatly convicted, guys, greatly convicted. And I don't know if anybody can relate with that. Maybe we're on the same page here. Maybe we're in the same boat. But um, I was greatly challenged. This definitely applies to us. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the responsibility. But we also have the word of reconciliation. We have the message. And what is the message? Here it is. God was in Christ reconciling the world. God has proven His great love. God has sent His Son. God has paid the highest price. What more must God do to prove His love to us? Nothing. It's been proven at the cross. And He has not counted our trespasses against us. He has not imputed our sins to us. That is the message. So we have a ministry, we have a responsibility, a service we offer, but we have a message, folks. We have a message. God is good. And God has sent His Son that we no longer have to be separated from God. We can be reconciled to God and we can know Him personally. personally, And that others can have this too. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. So first off, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. We all know that. Most of us in here, we know what an diplom- uh, uh, ambassador is. But consider the weight of being an ambassador for Christ, representing the Lord. There should be a certain level of healthy weight that comes along with that. We should take that very seriously. So first I would ask the question, do we represent Christ well? Are we representing Christ well? We have to be careful, guys, because sometimes I think people think they're representing Christ well and they're doing damage to His name. And we have to consider that. Or we, could that be said of us? Secondly, do we represent Christ at all? And I've already kind of hit on this a little bit. Do we represent Christ? How much of our energy, our effort, our time is given to being Christ to somebody? Think of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now when they, the Pharisees, saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That is amazing to me. They knew that these guys were uneducated, that they were untrained. That word, uneducated, is uh, idiotes in the Greek, right? I'm sure you can figure out what word we get from that. But one thing was for certain. One thing was obvious. They had been with Christ. They had been with Christ. That's amazing to me. I heard a story one time about a guy. He he had been a youth pastor at one point. Very influential on many people. Many people grew up and were very radical for Jesus because of this man's uh, ministry. Uh, 
he grew up, he, he became a senior pastor, and he had a reputation for going over to Tijuana and ministering to the children in the trash dumps. And he would just go, he would embrace them, he would love them, he would try to get them food, try to arrange for them to maybe get a shower, but just love them. And a guy accompanied this pastor one day, and at the end of the day he came back and he said, that may have been the closest thing to walking with Christ on this earth that I have ever experienced. And when I heard that, I thought, man, what I wouldn't give for someone to be able to say that about me. That walking alongside me was the closest thing to experiencing Christ on this earth. I'm so far away from that, but I want to be that. I want to represent Christ like that. I want to love people. That was the day that it really changed for me. You know, guys, I've had a desire to be a teacher of the Bible for almost as long as I've been walking with the Lord. I've had all these different desires, but it occurred to me the greatest thing. I finally understood, I want that gift of love. I want people to experience Christ's love through me. I want to represent Christ like that. I've known a handful of people in my life who are like that. Uh, There's just this love that flows out of them, and it's amazing. Um, And to think, to have someone say something like that about you, Uh, We're called to be ambassadors, guys. We represent Christ. We represent Jesus. I heard another pastor say, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ if you're not helping others to follow Christ? What do you mean when you tell me that you're a follower of Christ if you're not at the same time sharing the Gospel and helping others to follow Christ? That is love. Christ left His heavenly dwelling place, took the form of a slave, lived this life down here to make a way for us. So in turn, we do the same, guys. We go out and we try to reach the lost and we try to help other people do the same thing. We try to help other people follow Christ, teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think that this starts in the home in the home. This is the place where you have the greatest, uh, the greatest ability to be an example, to have an impact on somebody in the home. You can be an ambassador in your home to your family. Frankly, that's where it should start. Um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of opportunities to try to make a good impact on the students and my my youth group, and I'm blessed. I have a great group of kids, man. They are good kids. But more importantly, what I count on is the parents to be ambassadors of Christ in the home. Because if that's not happening, then we have a conflict here. There's a, there's a, a battle going on. So I'm thankful that my kids have godly parents that love them and set that example. They are ambassadors of Christ in the home. But what about in the church, guys? Do we represent Christ well here? Just because somebody is a believer doesn't mean that they have arrived. They may have so... I mean, we all have a long way to go. So am I an ambassador for Christ to someone who has just started walking with the Lord? Right? Are we discipling other believers? Are we an ambassador for Christ even on that level? Are we an ambassador for Christ at work? This may be one of our greatest mission fields at our place of work. You're going to see people I will never see. You're going to be with them day in and day out. They get to watch you. They get to observe how you respond to certain things or don't respond. You can be an ambassador of Christ there. School, 
for my, uh, my youth who attend public school. Again, the same thing. What a wonderful place. The coffee shop. I think a lot of us, we love coffee and we are often there. What a place to just sit down and converse with folks and try to have a gospel conversation. Social media. Social media. This is probably one of the, pla- one of the greatest places where we have an opportunity to broadcast Christ, yet so much damage is often done on social media or can be done. Nevertheless, this is a place where we are ambassadors for Christ. And in our community, anywhere within your sphere of influence, every one of you have a sphere of influence where I will probably never go or be. That's your ministry. That is your place where you represent Christ. So I want to encourage you not to get overwhelmed by this and not to set for yourself such a standard that you can't, you can't attain to it so that you just give up. Pick one person. I want you to consider one person in your life who you can pray for, who you can love on practically, who you can perhaps invite to church so that they can hear the gospel preached in a very intentional, unapologetic way. Someone who you can invite into your home and invite into your life and try to win for the Lord. Who is that one person? i got one person in my mind already I've been thinking about that I want to try to engage. And it's scary. I'm scared. We're afraid of rejection, aren't we? Lastly, and we're going to close with this, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is how it was all made possible. How could we be reconciled to God? How could a holy, just God just bring sinners to himself? To just wink at sin or sweep it under the rug. He can't do that because God is just. And sin cannot just go unpardoned. But it was paid for at the cross. This is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. He took our punishment. He took our penalty upon Himself. This is why we should be reconciled. In light of all that Christ has done for us, how can we not be reconciled to Him? How can we not receive this most wonderful gift? But this is also very much how we can be reconciled. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God poured His wrath out on Christ on the cross for my sins, for your sins. God basically treated Christ on the cross like He would treat you, like He would treat me. But we don't have to experience that because Christ did it in our place. Amen? Is that not wonderful news? Is that not amazing? So that is how we are able to receive the reconciliation. That is how, that is why we should be ambassadors of reconciliation to a lost and dying world. Because He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. Amen? So I want to encourage you guys. And we're going to close with a time of uh, worship and prayer. I want to encourage you guys to come up. Respond. Respond. Ask for prayer. Cry out to God that He would give you the grace to be an ambassador for Christ. To give you the wisdom to know who to reach and how to reach. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to be baptized, you can come up here. We'll lay hands on you to receive the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
If you have a, a hurting heart and you just need to lay that down and be ministered to by brothers and sisters in the Lord, I want to encourage you to come up. So if the worship team would, would come up, I'm going to pray for us and I will hand it over to them. I want to go ahead and invite some of our men and women to come up for pray, uh, to offer prayer. You know who you are. Dave Wagner, Jan, if you'd like to come up. Brother David. Um, anybody else? Pastor Vince. Why don't you come on up. Matt. And Wendy. If you guys would just stand right along the front here facing the congregation so they see you. No need to hide back in the corners. Father, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the message of reconciliation. We thank you for the ministry. We thank you that we have received or that we have been forgiven, that we have been washed clean and that we know you personally. You're our Lord and we are your children. We are your servants and we thank you. So I pray now as we close with a time of worship and prayer that people would come forward, Lord, and that they would be ministered to. And uh, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. And we thank you above all for you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.